This is episode number 214. What do you regret the most in life? With Benita Conde. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. This is a two-weekend experience where we'll be exploring the concepts of different ways to develop resilience with gratitude, grieving with gratitude, and ultimately exploring the whole mindset behind what it means to be grateful and what life looks like without this larger concept of being grateful. If you would like to more details about these upcoming experiences, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the full agenda as well as all of the speakers and facilitators who will be taking part of this particular experience. The second announcement that I would like to make is this. If you enjoyed any of the previous episodes or if this is your first time tuning in and you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. There we are. We made it. So Fantastic. For first trial, it was, it was, there's still room to improvement. <laughs> of course. The beauty of it all is just being able to pick it up from where it is and learn on the fly and whatever that looks like. Um, and I figured that there's, you know, no better person to have on the show and be able to experiment with something like this than you because some one of the things that I think I've learned through our connection is your ability to accept, mm, you know, like you. unconditionally accept the situation or the person or whatever it is. And so I figured that, okay, what better way to try all of this out than with Bonita on the show? <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yes, I've, definitely uh, space to experiment. Yeah. I'm glad that we're able to do this again. Um, as I mentioned to many of the people, we've had another conversation on the other podcast, but this one, and I think this was one of the topics that we might've touched upon in the other show was the whole concept of regrets. And I know it was in particular, the regrets to your career um, as a ballet. What's the proper, is it ballerina, ballet dancer? I was a ballet dancer. I think for me, ballerina is reserved for like principal <laughs> dancer, like at the pinnacle of their career, which tells you something about how I think about that. Um, but what I figured is probably the best way to start off this particular conversation is how do you even, re how do you even view regrets to begin with? Mm. Do you even have regrets at this point? No. So it's interesting when you pose the question in thinking about, you know, or coming together on this show. And I really was like, do I? And I want to be really honest with myself. And mm -hmm. so we were exchanging some emails back and forth, or I put it in a message to you. But if there's one place I'm really honest where I'm like, I wish I had had more of an experience, like a deeper experience or a more open and like, loving experience with myself in a part of my life, it would be that I cut my dance career off 
in like a very black and white way because mm. I was very much a very active perfectionist at the time. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't yet totally kicked off my like alcoholism and drug addiction, which I've now been in recovery from for almost 14 years. And so it's been this amazing recovery process across, across a lot of things. But one moment in time that I can look back to where I was like really black and white about it not playing out the way I thought it was going to. And so feeling a sense of failure and feeling like, and also needed to like save myself from it. I think I could have become very both like physically and emotionally sick if I had continued on in the way that I was, was to have to like quit whole hog. Mm. And I got into the fitness industry and expressed myself physically in that way. And I would go to clubs and dance and I like continued to express myself through dance, but not in like, I could have pivoted to modern dance or like musical theater and Broadway or just enjoying like some other form that I would take classes and train in. And I didn't, I like walked away for 20 years. And in the last four years, I've now brought dance back into my life and it's an absolute joy. But there is a part of me that's like, I could have, it could have stayed like woven in. And so I was like, if there's one thing I think I regret, it's that. Mm -hmm. Everything else, which is some major stuff in terms of like my behavior when I was in active alcoholism and addiction and relationships and selfishness and hurting people. Those are things you, one could think, oh, I stay really attached to that regret mm -hmm. and I don't at all. That has been an incredible healing process, which I'm happy to share. Um, but I have a very different relationship to I have no regrets on the journey of all the hard stuff along the way because it has taught me so much mm -hmm. each step. Do you find that for yourself, like especially ballet dancing, was that the highest form, the kind of quote unquote aspirational point that you were striving for? And then from there, when you were no longer able to pursue it, everything else that you did, like did that intensify the whole regret aspect of it all? Because now you might have been looking at it through the lens of, well, I'm not doing this, but this is somewhat equivalent to the other. Yeah, I couldn't get past that I wasn't going to move forward with the particular form mm -hmm. and to the particular level that I had had in my mind. Like I really wanted to be a dancer in one of like the main, let's say top five to 10 ballet companies in the country. Like that was my goal. And I didn't necessarily see myself being a principal dancer, but a core member, maybe a first soloist, something where I'd like made it to a point where I was solidly dancing as a ballet dancer full-time at a great company. And when that just started to take a really long time to happen, and then my body was kind of starting to break down in certain ways, and my psychological health was starting to break down, it became a very all or nothing decision mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Was status ever an aspiration of yours that you were striving for, like in the ballet dance industry? Is it an industry or a field, space? Whichever yeah, way. Any, any of those <laughs> words work. Whichever way you want to look at it. But was that mm. something that you were striving for? God, that's a great, you asked the best questions. <laughs> I suppose on some level, like mm -hmm. recognition, because it seems like sure. competition is a big component of an art form like that, right? Yes, it's I know highly like, competitive. When I was in band, I mean, this 
by no means a comparison, but maybe it is. When I was in band in middle school, I know that every like every chair was ranked. You know, if you had three people playing the clarinet, you had first, second, third. Yep. And then that determined the solo order yep. for each one. Same thing for percussion and all these other things. And I'm wondering that in ballet dancing, is it a similar thing? And when you were pursuing it, were you actively striving to, and maybe that's just a natural instinct is to actively strive to be the best that you can within a group of other people. Well, I, yeah, I think there are certain groups that certain people's personalities and skill sets are attracted to mm-hmm. that are incredibly fulfilling in many ways. And like for ballet and music, right, a ton of artistic expression is experienced. So that's just very fulfilling in and of itself. But yes, then there are these aspects to the systems and structures that are competitive, right? Because like, yeah, who gets the solo? Who gets the principal role? Mm -hmm. Who gets the center stage, you know, focus? So then that's baked in to that system. And I certainly, like, I loved when I got the lead roles, of course. Like, I loved, and I loved performing and interacting on stage. So when you got a solo and all eyes were on you and you were having that engagement and that relationship with the audience, it's incredibly intoxicating and incredibly empowering. And so, yes, I certainly desired that. I don't think it was, like, like a, the underwriting current wasn't like, oh, I want this to have a certain title or to mm-hmm. be guaranteed certain roles or something. Because you, you learn early on that that just also doesn't happen often in dance. But what I came to find is that my sense of self was very shaky early in life. Like I had confidence in certain ways and I was... I was a performer, and so you could say I was sort of outgoing. But inside, I was constantly evaluating myself based on the feedback from others. Mm. I didn't have a sense of self like separate from that or like grounded and solid in its own knowing, which and maybe many young people don't, and it's something you cultivate over time. I think young people are now cultivating that much more quickly. There's much more per- permission to be true to yourself mm-hmm. and not necessarily like take on the conditioned like rules mm-hmm. <laughs> that determine who you are. Um, but I really believed in all of that. Like, oh, other people will tell me if I'm good enough. And so if for some reason I didn't get a part in a particular production or I was having a tough day in class and kind of slunk and hung out in the back of the room instead of front and center feeling confident, I would believe I was less than in those moments. It would really shake my sense of self. And I would see other dancers who had a, a more solid sense of self, like stuff wouldn't rattle them as much, at least from what I could see on the outside. And I would say largely a lot of those dancers moved forward in their careers or had much longer careers because they weren't so pulled from like all of the like external circumstantial stuff and people telling you from their perspective, which is just their perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so subjective, right? Are you the right hair color? Are you the right height? Are you the right body type? Like it's so unbelievably subjective about your person that if you let that stuff get to you and dictate who you are, it's incredibly painful. And I definitely experienced that. Would you say that that was a point where you, when you did turn to drugs as a way to <clears throat> cope and process like many of the things, cause I've experienced the same exact thing. You know, I think like um, 
concept of self-validation. So in my opinion, I, I think it's one of those areas where it's very difficult to escape just across the board. I think more so I, I get to pick and choose which of the quote unquote self-validation areas that I'm seeking. Hmm. But then there's also a line within that where I can, sometimes I think I can draw, it's not like a black and white, you know, cause that line varies depending on who the person is. I find that with feedback, I'm the same exact way. Whenever I do certain things, especially if it's writing related, I know that I am a strong writer, but it takes me, it takes me a lot longer to, you know, produce because I just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe this component here, but like I go within to find the words instead of looking externally to put words on paper. So it's a lot more, there's a lot more emotional ties to that. And so as part of that process, I will always ask other people within my circle to help me expand the thoughts or whatever else. But then there's a day, it's a double-edged sword there. Yep. Because then they're depending on the person's perspective. You could either receive feedback that says change everything about what you wrote or change nothing because I also have friends like that that will just say it's it's great the way it is. Yep. But internally, I'm looking for ways to improve. And I realize that in the moment, that's a difficult space that can be a difficult space to be in. And I'm wondering in your lens, were the circumstances so difficult that the only way to cope with them was through forms of drugs? Well, it came after my exploration with, and like a more open sense of like drinking more often. I drank a bit from teenage years through my dance career, but like rarely, like mm-hmm. a weekend every once in a while, because my ballet focus was like, kind of kept that very hemmed in. But when I quit and I like opened up my life and my world and was like, oh my God, there's this whole other world out there I want <laughs> to explore. I think there was an element of rebellion from all of the years of, you know, very dedicated, um, like controlled management of life, like so focused on this career, dancing six to seven days a week, you know, working out otherwise, like just being very focused on like certain goals, right? And then you open the door and it's like, they're really, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, what do they do? And who are yeah. they? And I can look at other people's bodies and not compare myself to them all the time. Wow. And like all of these different ways of approaching life opened up. And so I did then feel I've already had a career. I'm on to my second. I'm like self-supporting in New York city. I've got this fitness career emerging and like, I, and I can do that without as much constraint and like rigor and dedication. It can be lighter. Oh, so I can go out at night now. Oh, So I do think that there was a component, though, to healing the regret and the shame, I would say, of quitting Mm -hmm. and and just the mourning, like the mourning and the loss of something I had done for 19 years from the time I was three to 22. And I didn't necessarily know how to mourn that in a healthy way. So I think there were components of all of that combined in me being very like open to exploring things like recreational drugs at the time that then turned into me not really feeling like I could stop on my own 10 years later. How would you say your concept of your self-image and body image transformed after you were no longer able to perform? It took, it took time. It was Mm -hmm. very much like a time does heal type of process. Um, And I saw 
couple of different therapists along the way to help with it. Um, but it shifted from being so focused on self and the physical form and its external like lines. Because when you're dancing in ballet, you're looking in the mirror up to eight hours a day, sometimes more depending wow. on the situation. Think about that. Yeah. Like once I left, I was like, I'm no longer looking at myself in the mirror like many, many hours a day. And well, you're probably so conscious like of every single component every of line, your body. Every edge, every line, every curve, how they look in all the various different positions, what you would want to be better improved upon every day. It's about improving upon it. So that's ultimately mm. a message that your body the way it is is not good enough. Hmm. All like every day, like, and you'd have days where you're like, oh, I'm kind of feeling thin today and oh, things look good. But the, I, I would, if I can remember back accurately, it was maybe one or two days a week where you felt like you had a good day. Like, oh, my technique was feeling good. And oh, I was feeling like not puffy or chubby or whatever. And the rest of the days you were like, oh, this needs to be better. So if that's the mindset over and over and over again, you know, it was really like this veil being lifted of like, I, first I noticed I compared myself to everybody else's body on the street. Was I thinner? Mm -hmm. Was I thinner than everybody else on the street? And then once that I started to notice that I was like, oh, wow. And I'm not dancing anymore. So I don't need to do that anymore. Like it, beca it became this like contrast. So then I became aware and then I started to be more accepting. I was like, well, what if I could accept myself more and I could accept their bodies more and just see them all as different. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was like this like slow conversation with self of acceptance. And then it came to, to like releasing and relaxing meaning and judgment around food and certain food items. And, and so I would say in the last four years though, in particular, it's been amazing as I've been in a more coaching focused approach in my life and a following my intuition approach in my life that it's even more rapidly healed in the last four years. Like I accept and love my body now. Like, do I have a little like COVID belly? Yes, <laughs> but she's like meant to be there right now to be like, keep me grounded. And this time is really intense with all the energy swirling and the collective, like experiencing so much, especially emotionally. So I can see that as like, like an additive property that's okay. Some days does judgment come in? Sure, but not at all. Like it's so much more from this place of like, I am right where I'm supposed to be, wherever I am, mm -hmm. whatever day, even if there's something I want to change or improve upon. It's not from that place of like punitive, you are not enough. Mm -hmm. It's from like desire of wanting to like feel good. And that's a very different approach than like, change something because you're not good enough versus change something because you're excited about feeling better. Totally hmm. different. Wow. I have a completely different appreciation for this form now. I, I didn't know any of this. I mean, there's so many questions that come to mind. The other thing that I'm curious about when you were looking yourself in the mirror, who was the ultimate judge? Was it you? Like, did you actually have people that were quote unquote coaching you and guiding you and saying, Hey, you need to lose weight here or technique needs to be this way. I mean, I could only imagine looking yourself in the mirror for that many hours on a daily basis. And then you see the challenge of that is like, once that session is over, it's not like you can flip the switch and go back to the other way of living. It's that that life becomes your life. Yeah. So when you walk the streets in New York city, 
you're probably constantly thinking about, okay, how am I compared to this person? And then you're picking up all of these different cues from other people as far as, and popular culture also plays Absolutely. probably a huge role. Absolutely. Like, you know, what's the next topic? What's the next theme? Who do I want to look like next? I, I mean, having to juggle all of that, that, that is an experience of itself. Walking yeah. the streets of New York. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And like, how? where are you in your sense of self <laughs> in relation yeah. to all of these millions of people that are around you? Absolutely. To answer your question, it's again, it's such a beautiful question. I think it's a combination. I certainly was my harshest critic. Mm -hmm. I certainly, like sort of the buck stops with yourself when you're in any sort of, form like that. I would say I work with a lot of artists and creative people as my clients. And that sense of like being critical of oneself, like the critical self is usually quite loud. Um, but the voices that made up that critical self very much came from a consortium of teachers, direct artistic directors, executive directors, people you'd be auditioning for, for a show or a company or something. Like, it was definitely like their collective voice of criticism along the way or, you know, obviously what was meant as helpful, which is so fascinating about any of these worlds, um, like dance, gymnastics, et cetera. I think coaches and teachers and directors truly believe they're helping because mm -hmm. they want you to succeed in what they see you want to succeed in. But to succeed in it oftentimes for many people, not all people, but for many people is like, like almost near impossible. And so you're putting yourself up against these um, um, judgments, these like ways to critique oneself, these comparisons that are maybe just like sort of not even possible for you, but you're really trying. And for some people they are. And I will say this sort of as a disclaimer for the ballet world and community is that there are many dancers whose bodies quite naturally form and conform to the ideal. So it's not as fraught. Mm -hmm. there's, it, there's certainly a lot of people doing things to control their weight and their, you know, physical look and how they work out and how they like sculpt their body for sure. But now it's been interesting to watch it over the last 20 some years shift to much more dialogue about how to approach it from a healthier perspective. Like I was, I quit in like the mid, mid to later nineties. And there was like Pilates was just coming into studios and yoga was like kind of maybe being talked about. And some people were like using their physical therapy exercises in the studio to not get injured. But there was not like the injury prevention and the discussion about diet, nutrition and health that seems to be much more at the forefront of the conversation now. Back then it was kind of like, you're on your own. Hmm. And yes, I had many an instructor say, my tummy is the thing. And, and my one instructor would be like, tummy, tummy, you know, and you hear that all day and you're like, okay, like my stomach needs to be flatter. I need to be thinner. I need to be stronger. Yeah. So you go through this experience slightly, maybe it's a slight tangent, maybe not, who knows. I'm curious, and I'd be curious about this outside of just overall and just experiences in general. When you go into this space of quote unquote coaching, guiding, helping others mm -hmm. reach similar levels of peak performance, 
do you find that in your experience you had to go to that degree hmm. in order to really understand what it's all about or were there like looking back at it all did you really have to push yourself to the 10th degree to understand that space in a way that you can communicate that to other people as far as this is what it takes hmm. or maybe not or could you have gone to i don't know basics intermediate did you have to go to advanced to really understand because i'm i'm trying to understand it through the same exact lens mm -hmm. you know i i consider myself um peak performer like competition for i love competition healthy competition yeah you know my, my friends and i we joke about it now but every single time we meet we do something that is competitive hmm. i play basketball like i i kid you not i can't tell you the last time we played a game that was not competitive. Like the whole concept, like doing it for fun. Like I'm like, we're gonna do it for fun and <laughs> X, Y, and Z. And we're keeping score. <laughs> and we're going to push each other to to our limits. But that's just how who, who I am. And I realized that in doing that, it helps me understand my own performance to a level that I don't think I would be able to understand if I didn't push myself like that. Yeah. Such an interesting question again. Um, and it's so beautifully wrapped into like no regrets, right? Because I, yeah. I do love that I have experienced the things that I have experienced to the degree, to the degree that I have experienced them because mm -hmm. it really does allow me to then work with people on a broad spectrum of experiencing who like, no, have not had to try to be a professional dancer or, but but are coming up and bumping up against their own desires to live in a more fulfilling way or to find more self-acceptance. And like, do you have to like take yourself to such, such peak high heights and like peaks and then such despair? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't believe you have to, to then further cultivate. And I'll use the word more fulfilling in terms of like peak performance, but a more fulfilling, like nourishing, exciting life that's sort of the vibe and the direction i end up working with clients on and i don't think you need to go to the depths of despair to do that i've i have <laughs> and i have no regrets even though there were really hard moments within all of that um because it's brought me to this place to then be able to like speak so um confidently like to speak from a place of like experiencing that has has created a sense of value and fulfillment for me that i can then share with others and that was the other piece i wanted to share about mm -hmm. regret is that in the healing of what i definitely carried around is a lot of regret for to a certain point in my life until i got sober and then i learned how to work with regret and shame and fear and have tools to be able to have conversations with people and to um, make amends and know to, if I'm quickly in a space where I'm feeling like I could have handled that differently, I could quickly apologize. Like you just very quickly shorten the time in which in the past you maybe had like regrets build up. Mm -hmm. And I, you go through all of that and then it's like, oh wow. And then you start helping other people. And, and that just happened for me in the sober community, right? Like, oh, I've done this. I can just share with you what's happened for me. Just simply sharing my experience is helping somebody else. Oh. And when you start to see that that's why we're here. That's interesting. We yeah. are here to live our lives, to, yes, 
feel pain, to experience very difficult things, to experience all of it, right? There's this like whole beautiful spectrum of experiencing available to us. Not all of it is joyful and blissful, or we wouldn't know what that felt like. Mm-hmm. And you experience this whole spectrum. And then you start to talk to people very openly and vulnerably about like what you've experienced. That in and of itself is healing the shame. Because all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're sharing it with somebody else and they're like, oh yeah, me too. Or, oh yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with me. And you're like, oh, nobody's condemning me for this. I was in my own head alone with myself. So you start sharing and then you realize it's helpful to people because you get that feedback or that kind of like reflection back. And then that cycle heals so much regret and shame. It's unbelievable. Like everything is here for us to then be of service to others from whatever we've learned or whatever we've gone through. Do you find that there's a line for you between what you choose to share and what you choose to keep in? How do you even, I mean, let's even back Mm. up. How do you even choose what you choose to share to begin with? It's been a like process. It's, mm-hmm. There's been like different points in the process where I've like opened up more and more. Um, when I first got sober, I didn't share, let's say, with like the company that I was working with publicly that I had gone away to rehab and now was back. <laughs> and somebody else in the organization also got sober around the same time and was much more open. And I just wasn't ready at that point. A few people knew, and I'm sure people ultimately then knew. Is it? People told people things, but I didn't say it myself. And then I started to help more people and I started to get more involved in like my sobriety and sober community and things. And I started to see that like there were more people, especially in my industry when I was working in the advertising industry at the time that needed help. So I was willing to like speak to people if like the HR department would be like, "Mm, somebody's kind of struggling. Can you help us just understand how we can help them and then maybe talk to them? I'd be willing to do that. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of grew. Like there were degrees of comfort that started to come. And I saw that again, I was helping people. And I was like, oh, this is way more powerful than me keeping it to myself. So then I started to share more publicly, like I'd maybe post socially like that it was my 10th anniversary or whatever of being sober and the response was incredible and then people would private message me and say hey can we talk like I'm struggling with this and I was like wow okay sharing about this through social media is truly helping people and I don't want to keep that to myself and then as I left my corporate job as I started on this journey of working with coaches myself of like finding a new path professionally and having my own business and launching that all of a sudden I just started to share about all of it And I think it was this buildup in degrees of becoming more comfortable, of sharing more and more publicly my truths, my experiences. And then I've shared pretty much everything really publicly. Where I do draw the line is specific things in relation to my relationship with my husband, because that involves another person. And I'm very, I have like, I have a very fine integrity filter. And I'm always like very aware of when I'm engaging about somebody else's life. And I want to make sure I have their permission to do that um, and only share what feels comfortable um, because it's their life and their story. And then the same thing with my son. I talk about him a bit. I talk about him in relation to like my experience as a parent and a mother and having our own businesses and doing school from home and those types of things. But I don't share like his experience. That's for him to -hmm. share if and when he will ever want to. Mm Mm-hmm. I find the same exact thing. I think being in the, in the, or having the responsibility, because that's ultimately what I view this as is creating this space is like, I carry a responsibility 
um, to other people. And, and the whole concept of sharing something that I've been, I mean, pondering upon for quite some time as far as what is the line that I choose to draw. I mean, I'll be, you know, completely transparent. There are certain decisions that I don't choose to share that I make, like when it comes to organization building or like certain campaigns. And I think the reason why is because me choosing to share those decisions, um, it's not necessarily that like one is, you know, good or bad. It's more so that I think there is a, there's a reason that I be put behind why I choose to share. Like I oftentimes, I will share a decision in order to get a perspective. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm not looking for a perspective, which is also perfectly fine, then what is the meaning behind sharing it? Then it yep. comes, then it kind of becomes like sharing for the sake of sharing it. Right. Yeah. Without really like intent or purpose behind it all. Yeah. For me, it's always, will this be of service to someone while maintaining the integrity of whatever part of my life I'm talking about? So not sharing mm -hmm. about somebody else's experience with me in relation to that. How can I just keep it focused on what I can share that would be of service? And if mm -hmm. it's not, yeah, then it's just. It is what it talking. is. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to kind of the whole aspect of competition, especially when you were ballet dancing, do you find that, I know that you've said you've redeveloped, you developed a different relationship with this whole concept of regrets, but are there certain elements of the competition aspect that you regret possibly not having in your life today that you might have had back then? No. That one I can answer really easily. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. But I, I understand what you're talking about in terms of that like fun, competitive energy. Mm -hmm. It channels through differently now in terms of kind of the words and also like the energetic like resonance of it. Mm -hmm. And it's more about a devotion or like an intense, um, like constant like reassessing of my highest truths and excitements. And so mm -hmm. I could say like, I have, I'm like competitive with myself about that maybe, like in you <laughs> using this word and, and talking yeah. and like bringing in this energy into the conversation. I'm like, oh yeah, no, there's still really like primal parts of myself that are incredibly devoted, that um, I am very um, dedicated. Like when I get into something, like watch out. Cause I'm not going to like let go easily. Like I want to know more. I want to seek out more. So there's that competitive energy to, to further myself, to like know more, to be of more service, to be more aligned, etc. But there's a massive release on the other side of it as well. That doesn't have, there's a piece of the old competitive energy for me that was being driven by this not enoughness. Like I need to be competitive to do something, to prove something to myself. And now I, that piece I don't have there anymore. Do you find that right now you compete without an end goal in mind? Like, is that one of the differences back then competition Much was more okay, open? Here is what I got to get to where now it's like, okay, I can still bring this energy into my life, but whether I achieve X, Y, and Z, it, it's not really going to determine my levels. Yeah, I would say that that's true. There's a much more openness to like what shows up. Like, huh, 
well, that just showed up out of nowhere and that sounds <laughs> awesome. And I totally, there's so much more that has happened to me again, especially in the last four years when I've just like been living this much more open path. Because in the advertising industry, I absolutely felt the more lack belief version of competition. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not enough and I need to be doing things differently in the way that people are reflecting back to me. They want me to do them. And, uh, oh, I might, it was much more performative. It was, it was much more a mirror of my like sense of self in the ballet industry, in the ballet world. And so when I left the corporate world, I was like, wait, I can create this myself in ways that are fulfilling to me. And then the others that I work with for sure. And then I'm like supporting and co-creating with, well, I can be more open to what shows up rather mm-hmm. than like end gaining, which mm-hmm. I have this I, So I just had a dance class this morning, a movement class with this wonderful woman over Zoom. And I just did it from my house today. So I usually see her in person here and she's like the most, oh my God, she's so wise about so many things, but I'm getting all this wisdom through like this natural body movement approach called the Alexander technique. And we're doing that and we're moving a bit today. And like, it just comes from this place of like love and curiosity, but she uses this term end gaining when she sees my mind, like kind of wanting to figure out what she wants me to do before she's even told me what we're doing. Mm-hmm. She's like, is end gaining happening? And I'm like, Oh, of course it is. <laughs> you know it is. And it's been happening less and less with her. And now I'm just in the movement, in the moment, enjoying them. Like as she's kind of calling them out and it feels so much more easeful. And that, is now, again, it's like competition is a funny word, but that's now like the excitement or the place that I'm playing with myself is like, how much more can I be in the moment of everything Mm -hmm. than trying to get to a certain result, which ultimately might not be my highest. Like there might be something even better. And that's what I was gonna say is like, I have had things appear seemingly out of nowhere, which is not necessarily the case. Lots of seeds are planted about a lot of things that we, and we don't know when they're going to actually pop up. Mm-hmm. That is literally like, if I was trying to plan that with my mind and get to a certain end result, I, that was one way I would actually miss this amazing thing that mm-hmm. just seemingly showed up, which mm-hmm. I like to call magic. Mm-hmm. And I think that also goes to a point, you know, the whole concept of living in a lack of compared to an abundant mindset Yes. Um, which if that's something that you could speak with, that would be amazing. But before that, Billy, Billy Atwell, actually a mutual yeah. friend of ours, I met, I was having a conversation with him on Saturday, I believe. And one of the things that he had mentioned that really just helped shift my own thinking was in regard to um, spreadsheets to document one's expenses. <laughs> so previously, you know, I would just put, I would put all the expenses and I would actually label the spreadsheet expenses what he helped me realize was i guess one of the things that he started to do or he might have heard of was this concept of um monthly appreciation appreciation yep i kid you not just hearing those three words alone it like transformed the energy that i had around looking at that spreadsheet because then it was no longer viewed as like damn i gotta pay this i gotta do that it's like wow i actually get to experience electricity or i get to experience hot water now okay i also got to be a real realistic just because i realized that i didn't it's not like everything changed you know there's a toggling back and forth yeah exactly there's a back and forth that happens but it was an interesting thing to even transform 
the mindset of operating from the lack of, and you have to meet this deadline, you have to make this bill compared to you get to experience this. Yeah. Like you get to experience the hot water. You get to experience the lights. You yeah. get to experience having a car, having the ability to go from point A to point B. And just that sentence alone, I just sat there and I was just like, wow. That I mean, words are powerful. They are. They are powerful, right? We can see them as powerful and then really become mindful about how we use them and then also kind of let go of their power at the same time because I can go, go down these very like intense roads about what I'm saying to myself and how. But yes, that is so powerful. I love that you and Billy had that conversation. There's a great book. We could have do a whole nother show on it called Busting Loose from the Money Game, which is all about this appreciation approach. And if you see, and also that you're the conscious creator of all of this, right? You called up that company to say, hey, I'd like to have electricity at this place and I'll pay you for it. So you actually do allow it, create it, are manifesting it. And then we're so conditioned to believe that like, oh, that's a burden or yeah, it's a lack thing and we have to pay other people. It's just circulation. Yeah. We're just circulating funds around for the things we want to experience. Mm-hmm. No, I just thought that was such a fascinating way. Like when he described it like that monthly appreciation list, I was like, wow, like that, that is no, seriously, it's no longer seen as a burden. Yep. Now I'm having to retrain my mind through the lens of, I get to appreciate, I appreciate these things now. And I think it also um, brings a whole different level of awareness to all of these resources. I mean, like really think about it electricity i wouldn't even know where to start in trying to create and generate that right water all the filtration systems and everything that it goes through before it gets into your tub or before it gets into your sink like that alone is fascinating and i think the more i think about my own experience i mean before i started to appreciate many of the things and look at it through this lens I can't say that I saw the essence of them to begin with because then it was just like, oh, it's just a car or like, oh, insurance, oh, water. You know, I maybe to a degree it's taken for granted. Oh, 100% it is right through that practice of appreciation and gratitude. Like that portal is incredibly powerful for people. It really can shift because then you can start to see how you can give that to yourself. Like, oh, I can, it's very, it's, it's easier to start with sort of like the things and the services around us that we may take for granted, right? And then maybe, oh, people and the love or the support or the creation or even the challenge, right, that they bring to our lives. Oh, okay, I can start to appreciate and have gratitude for those. Well, what if I could for myself yeah. too? It usually takes like a few layers to kind of like get into the like, I can do this for other things. Yeah, I can do this for myself. And you can apply this to regret because we can, again, we can appreciate every experience in our lives for what we have learned and then how it can serve others. And if we can see it from a place of appreciation immediately, that sense of regret or shame or whatever might come up can be so softened. Do you find yourself having more of a learning mindset or a learner's mindset? Like I'm the same exact way. way. I think. For me, what helped me transform a lot of the, or reframe, transform, whatever the word is, 
um, a lot of these challenging circumstances is looking at them through the lens of what were the lessons learned? Yep. What were the takeaways? Yeah. And I have it much more so now than I ever have in my life. Like it's developed even more and more and like, Oh, what don't I, I don't know a lot. And that feels great rather than feeling mm-hmm. like I need to know things to feel safe or I need to feel like I've gotten to a certain point in my career to feel that people would think I know things and I'm respected or something. It's like, Oh, I so love going back to like, I know so little and I'm so excited to see what I know next. And it creates this wonderful balance of like humility and curiosity. And yeah, that learning mindset is in the past. I think I really thought I needed to know things to get like accomplished in something. And then like it would be done and I would move on. It was a much more fixed mindset for me in the past. Where do you think that started for you or like what triggered for you to just know things almost like for the sake of knowing them. Cause I experienced the same exact thing. I experienced the same exact thing. Um, when it came to almost every, everything that I could think of reading a book, it was, it was, a, it was more about read the more books you read, the quote unquote, better you are. Sure. But the reality of the matter is reading for the sake of reading doesn't really produce any sort of tangible skills, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. like I'm much more willing to read a chapter and then see how that theme is going to appear in my life. Yep. You know, and then from there, go back to that book if needed. Now, there have also been, I I think books, so books are kind of a fascinating concept for me, and here's why. I found myself that I don't fully read all of the books from Mm -hmm. cover to cover, but rather I read books based on, A, what I aspire to be or what I'm looking for or Mm -hmm. a form of a solution so there's certain books that I probably only read a page. Mm-hmm. And then I found that sentence within that page where somehow you had that moment. It's like, boom, like mm-hmm. your life makes sense. Yep. And I'm like, that's exactly what I needed. And then I, I didn't pick up that book afterwards. And I think there's a there's also like an maybe ongoing expectation that comes with the books that you're expected to go from cover to cover totally. when the reality of the matter is what is the actual purpose behind the book? Yeah, I've experienced much the same. I think I I just came from a a background of folks who were like hardworking and you did what people said and you try to do it to the best of your ability. And then I had this own, my own like perfectionism layer. (laughs) And so I would just do things to do them all the way to tick the box. I also am a, I am somebody who feels fulfilled in completing things. Like accomplishing a task does release, whether it's like, oxytocin or serotonin or endorphins or whatever. Like I get a little hit from just the sheer act of completing things, which not everybody does. Um, So those things combined, I think made me more sort of like task oriented and completion oriented on top of all of the conditioning you've just talked about with something like you have a book and you open it, you should finish it. Mm -hmm. Like that should in there, you know, it's like, well, who said? So I read now much more like you do as well. I'll be yeah. interested in a topic or someone will send me a book and I'll be like, hmm, let me see. And I might read a chapter or two and be like, nope, I feel like I got what I needed and I have no desire to finish. Yeah. Who's to say that the ultimate purpose is to be discovered from reading it cover to cover. Yeah. And me, uh, that's, it's just such an interesting way for me to like read books now <laughs> and understand it through the lens and also have this understanding that the purpose of the book is whatever you define it to be. Yes. I mean, it could it could literally be a page. It could be a word 
it could be the cover of the book that That's somehow true. makes you see world differently. Yep. I find that fascinating. Benita, what's the best way that people can connect with you? And I will, for those that are watching, show your website. Is there anything outside of this that any other ways, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever it is? And then do you have anything that's coming up as part of any of the programs that you're developing that people can be a part of? Um, yeah, the best way to connect with me is through my website, which you have up. Thank you so much. Um, I'm also on Instagram um, at Benita underscore Condi. I'd say I probably use that platform most just to post insights and inspirations and information about some of the things I'm experiencing through my coaching practice. Um, and yeah, no, really, it's people reaching out to me pretty much one to one, whether it's about their business or about themselves individually, to talk about coaching, consulting. Um, I develop a lot of workshops with people from that approach as well. That's amazing. And for anyone that's watching or listening right now, if you've enjoyed any aspects of the show, one thing that I'll ask of you is just please leave a feedback review, whatever that form looks like. Um, through some of the Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever else that you want to leave it. Um, I know that I, well, I, I can't say that I had a blast here because I always have a blast talking to you just because <laughs> we go, but like the beauty I think of these conversations is that sometimes I start with one thing and then we go into another area, but yet somehow that area is still connected, Yep. you know, to this whole concept of like regrets and, because I, I think the other thing about regrets, and I'm curious to hear your perspective, is that the word alone, in many situations, it carries negative connotations. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to. No. You know, because as you mentioned, like, you can still learn from that. And by learning from it, you in a way transform that. Absolutely. A positive experience. Yep. Like you said, right, words are so powerful, but we can also transform the meaning of them if they do have a heaviness or a negative connotation we can sort of neutralize like we can use them in very like pointed beautiful ways and they can raise a discussion that might have some heaviness to it and then even in the process of having that discussion it lightens and we see its value and like oh now i have a different experience of that word and ultimately i think it just shows that they're technically neutral but it's, it's what do we assign to them and what is the energy associated with them? Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Well, thank you for being a part of this. And for those that are listening, please connect with Bonita through all the channels that she had mentioned. And without a doubt, you will be having version 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, and et cetera. <laughs> it's just fascinating Absolutely. until we share the space with you and be able to learn from the diff different perspectives that you bring. Yes, same. Oleg, thank you so much. I love our conversations dearly. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content as well as the latest episodes. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these courageous and inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.